This morning we are in Psalm number 19, and that's on page 858 of the Pew Bibles. And uh, uh, this morning's sermon is is really just a a one-off sermon. We'll we'll get into a new series in January. Um, And next week we have the privilege of welcoming Zach Dewey, my friend from Ammon Valley, who will be preaching for us. And so I thought, well, what better way uh, to do a one-off sermon than to do a sermon on a psalm? And so we're looking at Psalm 19, which may be a very familiar psalm to, to, to many of us. Um, and as we just sang that song, God of Wonders, you'll notice the first six verses of this psalm really echo those same themes. And we'll, we'll dive into those this morning. Uh, but we'll be looking at the entire psalm. Again, that's page number 858 of the Pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, have you ever heard a song that you, you just loved the song? There was something about the words, as you, as you heard those words, they, they resonated deeply with something about your life and, and your experiences. And, and every time that song comes on the radio, you turn it up, maybe you head straight to Spotify to listen to that song over and over again because you just love it so much. And then one day you notice a YouTube video or on television, the person who wrote that song is being interviewed. And you think, wow, I'd like to know what they have to say about that song. And then as they start to describe the song and, and you know, what happened that made them write the song and what they were thinking and feeling, all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> That's nothing like what, what I thought. And the reason is, is because we can't know what the author of a song is thinking. We don't know what's in their heart. We don't know the experiences that lead them to write that song. We can know some things, right? We, we can know that the song is sad or happy or serious. 
We can know if the song's about a person or a certain kind of situation. But we could never know what the song was really about unless the person who wrote that song told us what that song is really about. And that's very similar to life. As we experience this life, we we hear the song of creation. But we need the creator to come and to tell us what it all means. And God gave us incredible powers of observation and reason. We have an amazing ability to investigate this world, to learn about ourselves and to learn about others. But unless the God who wrote the song of creation comes and tells us what it all means, we can never really know for sure. And Psalm 19 calls us and invites us to glorify the God who created all things. And then Psalm 19 points us to his scriptures that tell us what it all means. And so this morning, we're going to ask the question, how we know God. And there are two ways we come to know God. The first way we come to know God is because God, through what theologians call general revelation, shows us. God lets us hear the song of creation. The other way we come to know God is through uh, special revelation or God telling us. Through the scriptures, God takes us behind the music so that we can hear from the artist's himself. See, the reality is, is that God is not hiding himself from anyone. He's not made it difficult to recognize his power and his qualities. Every single human being born into this world has the ability to reason and to look around, and we can all see that God has made everything, and we can all understand that that is true. The first six verses of Psalm 19 make this very clear. The psalm opens by telling us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. What we see here are two statements that communicate the same idea in different ways. Both verses are telling us that by looking up into the heavens, God is speaking to us about his own glory through the glory of the stars. Just think about the sky and all of its different manifestations. Think about a clear night where you can see every single star. Think about a glorious sunset with unimaginable colors cascading across the sky. Think about a solar eclipse rainbows, cloud formations. The wonder and the beauty of it all is telling us that God did this, that this is his handiwork, and that actually he deserves our praise and our gratitude because of all of it. In verse 2, we also learn that this is all not just meaningless words that we hear once. No, the sky is literally pouring forth speech day and night. That word pour forth there, underneath that is is the idea of a geyser or a waterfall, like literally just gushing constantly day and night. And the one who listens to what the sky is saying will gain knowledge and understanding about God. 
Then in verse 3, in the first part of verse 4, we're told that they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. So not only is God speaking nonstop, not only is knowledge of God gushing forth from the sky all day and all night, but everyone hears and everyone can understand. It doesn't matter where you're from on this earth. It doesn't matter what language you speak. There is not a single person on this planet who cannot understand what is being said by the sky. And the psalmist himself gives a specific example. He says, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So think about the power of the sun to perform its daily regular routine without fail year after year. It it, it literally rises and possesses the entire sky. And not only does the sun do this every day, but it comes up every day with joy because it's doing the very thing that it was created to do every single day. And what could be more joy-filled than a man on his wedding day? Or a champion standing on the podium after having won the race. And this all tells us that God is there and that God is glorious and that God is good and giving us the sun every day. God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. And we all know this is true because the song is a song that everyone can understand. It's being sung nonstop in every language by the sky above us. And we actually, in 2021, know infinitely more about this sky than King David did when he wrote this psalm. Did you know the moon is 300,000 miles away from the earth? Just to put that into perspective, the earth, if you were to travel around it, that would be 25,000 miles. So the moon is 12 times farther away than the earth is around. Isn't that amazing? And the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. I mean, these numbers are so astronomical. All we can really do when we hear them is think, wow, that's really far. Because we have no reference point for it because it's, it's so big. Our solar system, oh wait, one more thing. <laughs> The sun is so big. So I just told you the earth is 25,000 miles around. The sun is so big, you could fit one million earths inside it. Isn't that amazing? Our solar system is nine billion miles. The end of our galaxy is 10 to the 18th power kilometers away. That's 100,000 light years. So if you turn on a light, that light instantly reaches your eye. Or it seems to at least. It would take that same light 100,000 years to travel to the end of our galaxy. Remember we said we could fit a million Earths inside the sun? Well, there's 400 billion suns in our galaxy. There may be as many as 100 billion galaxies in our universe. And the edge of our universe is 45 billion light years away. And 
this may not be the only universe there is. <laughs> there could be more universes. See, all of this, all of this is just there to tell us how glorious and powerful and big and worthy of our worship our God is. And that's just the glory that God tells, himself, tells us about himself in the sky. That's not to mention gravity, the atom, a snowflake, the human body, a flower petal, a blade of grass, all of which, if you learned about it and stared into it long enough, would be bursting with just as much glory as the sky. So the song of creation is screaming to us that God is there and that he is powerful and that he deserves our worship and he deserves all of our gratitude. And the Apostle Paul very likely had Psalm 19 in mind when he penned these words from Romans chapter 1. He said, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, there's so much that we can know about God simply by opening our eyes and looking around. But there still are unanswered questions. As we're listening to the song of creation, we can't help but wonder about the story and the meaning behind the song. We know the world is beautiful. We know it's majestic. We know that it's orderly. But we also know that there is death and that there is decay and that there is disorder. Why? Creation doesn't tell us why children get cancer and why sometimes cities are submerged underwater. Creation doesn't tell us what's wrong with us. Why can't I live up to my ideals? Why do I constantly fail? Why am I drawn to things that I know will destroy me? How can I change? What's my purpose? How do I find true meaning in life that's not in the end an illusion or a fantasy that I'm just telling myself so that I can cope? Why are we afraid to die? Why do we feel guilty? What can we do about our regrets and our sorrows? How can we overcome depression and anxiety when there's no answer to the seeming randomness and meaninglessness of life? What reality is big enough to come and to pick me up out of my despair when my life falls apart? Creation does not answer any of these questions. And we could, like I said, make up a fantasy. We could make up a story to answer all these questions. But we can never know for sure that that's the right story unless we can go behind the music. Unless the artist can come and can tell us himself. And thankfully we can because God tells us. So after the first six verses of Psalm 19 and verses 7 through 10, the subject, the theme, the structure, the language, the rhythm of the psalm all completely change. In fact, it's, it's so abrupt that, that some scholars suggest that this is a completely different psalm. It's like in verses 7 through 10, the psalmist knows we've heard the song of creation, and now we want to hear from the author. So he tells us where to go 
to hear him speak. Uh, The first thing I want to point out about this is the first six verses, the generic Hebrew word for God is used. Uh, So when it's describing God, it's using the same word that would be used to describe a foreign God or an idol. But then in verse 7, when it refers to God, it uses his Hebrew personal name, which is Yahweh. And maybe you know this and maybe you don't. But anytime in the Old Testament you see that capital L-O-R-D, anytime you see that, underneath that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. So Moses, when he's in Exodus, or sorry, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is standing before God at the burning bush, and he asks God, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. Well, the word Yahweh is just an English transliteration of the Hebrew I am. That's God's name. And the Greek, or the Hebrew scholars who translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek around 300 years before Christ, they so revered the name of Yahweh that they did not want to translate it into Greek. And so every time that shows up, what they do is they just write in the Lord. In our English translations, we keep that same ritual or that same habit. And so it can be confusing for for English readers to to know what's really going on there. But every time you see the Lord, that's Yahweh. And so these verses where it says the law of the Lord or the statutes of the Lord, what this is saying is the law of Yahweh, the statutes of Yahweh. And Psalm 19 celebrates the fact that the God who created all things has revealed his personal name to his people. And has spoken to us through his written word. And here the psalmist highlights six synonyms for God's written word. And then he gives us six different benefits of receiving God's written word. So first, the six synonyms are this. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and decrees. So notice, each of these words is a kind of direct communication from God. So God gives us his law. God teaches us his statutes. God tells us how he thinks we should live this life with his precepts and his commands and his decrees. And so all these words picture God communicating something to us from himself. So that means there's knowledge and content behind all these words as well. So in each one, God tells us something about what he thinks, about what we are, and what we should do. So these are all words that tell us something that we should know and do, right? We obey laws. We trust the statutes of someone who tells us the truth. We obey the precepts, decrees, and commands of someone who is in authority all over us. And all these God tells us about his holiness and about his grace. Now, there's one word up there, though, that doesn't seem like it fits in with all the others. Can you? Fear, huh? What? That word is is strangely added to the list, but listen to these verses. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 8.13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the duty of all mankind. So the fear of the Lord is to understand who God is, that he is the maker of heaven and earth, that he is a holy God who is perfect in all his ways. And at the same time, fearing God is knowing that God is gracious and kind to sinners. So one who fears God has received direct communication from God about his holiness and about his grace. And then these verses tell us the benefit for someone who receives this communication from God. Their soul will be refreshed. Can we get the next slide? The simple will be made wise. The heart will be given joy. Their eyes will be given light. Their purity will endure forever. And they will know God's truth is firm and righteous. Wow. God gives us his word. And the words written in scripture will make the simple wise. They will open our eyes to see life as it truly is. They will make our hearts rejoice and allow us to know that the truths we find there are firm and righteous. They will refresh your soul. Who here this morning isn't longing to have their soul refreshed? Can you imagine a commercial advertising a product that would give you all these things? These words, these words of Scripture, give the song of creation purpose and meaning and direction. Through them we know about sin and rebellion. We know about guilt and grief. We understand God's goodness, His holiness and justice, as well as the fact that He is in control of all things. And when we know God as he has revealed himself in the Bible, and we know who we are, sinners made to worship and glorify him, and then we see what we've done to destroy ourselves and our relationship with God, and then we see what he has done, suffering through this life in the person of Jesus Christ without sin, and then dying a terrible death on a Roman cross, and experiencing the infinite wrath of God in the place of sinners who put their faith in him. to make a way for us to know him and then to empower us to live as he's created us to live. When we see that, we see the doors of heaven opened to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we understand life as it really is. Suffering is momentary. Eternity with God is forever. Sin is death. Holiness is life. When we see that, we understand life as it really is. And sin is not defined by our thoughts and feelings. It's defined by God's word. And when we see all this, we agree with the psalmist when he says, they, these words, are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. See, God's very words are more desirable than the most desirable metal on this entire planet. In fact, they're more desirable than the most desirable form of the most desirable metal on this entire planet. God's word is more sweet than the sweetest thing you can imagine. 
That's why in our, our call to worship, we, we read the words, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when the, when the Bible calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good, what it's doing, it, it's calling us to read his word with the eyes of faith, to hear his word preached with the ears of faith, to see his word displayed through the sacrament. Now, the one question people always ask at this point, and maybe you're asking that, well, how do I know that God's word is true? It's saying a lot of wonderful things about itself here, but but how do I know that that this is all true? And, And the best way to answer that is with another question. How does a blind man who's been healed know that he can see? You see, when we encounter the word of God and our soul is refreshed, we know it's true. When we read these words and joy is given to our heart, we know it's true. When we become wise and light is given to our eyes so that we finally know true truth, then we know these are God's words because they're doing something that no other word could ever do. And they're doing the very thing that they said that they would do. Then David also says this. He says, By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So what does it mean that God's word, or God's words, are a warning? It means this. Don't let anything distract you from having your soul revived and being made wise by them. Don't miss out on light being given to your eyes and joy being given to your heart and having the pure fear of the Lord that endures forever. Don't miss out on the gospel, which allows you to keep God's law and to know the reward. But as soon as we say that, we all know the problem, right? And that's our sin. But God's word also teaches us that we need two things. Forgiveness and transformation. We need to be forgiven of what we've done, what we do, and what we will do. But we also need to be made into the kind of person who loves God's law so that we can read it. And it actually tastes like honey to us. We need God to transform us into the kind of person who stares at his law like gold so that we can see its perfection. And we can't do that ourselves. And that's why we need faith. When when we believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are born again. God's Spirit floods our heart. We become a new creation. We're no longer blind. We can see. We find the treasure in a field, and we go and sell everything we have so we can buy that field. And how do we know this is what the psalmist means when he says, by them your servant is warned because of what he says next. He says, but who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So the psalmist prays for two things. He asks for forgiveness for the sins he doesn't even know about. Right? He, he's so desperate to have the glory that Scripture points him to that he doesn't want even his unknown sins in the way. And then he asks God to keep him from willful sins, which is just sinning defiantly, right? Knowing full well what God desires and then doing the opposite. 
Because, because we need him to help us, right? So that we don't do that. And then he prays, keep me from wanting my sin more than you, God. Right? Keep me from justifying it or denying you. Keep me from denying your word and from failing to trust the goodness of who you have revealed yourself to be. Finally, he closes with these familiar words. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he acknowledges God as the foundation of his life, the one who redeemed him or purchased him out of slavery to sin and death. And he asks that God would cause his words and actions to be pleasing to him. And this is the place that God's revelation will take us. It it shows us his glory. It brings us to a place of repentance and utter dependence on God, which is the sweetest place to be. And the song of creation leads us to the scriptures where our soul is refreshed and we find everything we need for life and godliness. But we all know that reading God's word can be difficult. I don't know, I bet if we took a poll, everyone in here has at some point in time in their life said, yes, I'm going to read God's word more, and then whatever amount of reading his word more that we set for ourselves, we have come in miserably short of that goal. And so here's the thing, friends. I want to say two things. First, you're free. You're free from the guilt that you might feel for not reading his word as much as you long to. Because I don't believe that reading the Bible is a spiritual discipline. I believe it's a spiritual invitation. Right? The the God of the universe who loves you more than you could ever imagine, longs to commune with you, longs to share himself with you, he invites you to his word so that he can do that. And he doesn't condemn you when, you when you don't do it as you ought. It's not a task. It's not a duty. It's an invitation. And for some here this morning, you might be in a place in your life where you're so weak and you're so weary and you have so much going on, so many responsibilities with home and work. Maybe you have aging parents. Maybe you have young children. Maybe you're a high school student and and your life is packed with with sports and youth group and all these things. If that's where you're at and and what you need for 2022 is just to commit to being here every Sunday morning, where you can hear God's word preached, where you can see God's word displayed in the sacraments, where you can sing God's word, if if that's where you're at, and that's what you think you can commit to for 2022, then that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Others of you are in a place where being here every Sunday is, is a habit. It's, 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 part of your, it's part of your routine. You, you are excited to be here. You long to come into this room every Sunday and to worship. Well, the invitation then is to join a Bible study. Be be shoulder to shoulder with other Christians and, and roll up your sleeves and dig into God's word, not as a duty not as a command, but as an invitation to know this great and glorious and wonderful God and to know more about what he's done for you in Jesus Christ and how all of Scripture points to that. 
And others of you, maybe you come here, maybe you're in a Bible study, the invitation is to, to read it daily. That's why I'm starting this uh, Go Through the New Testament in a Year. You, you can join with me in that on the Bible app. You, we can be friends, we can write to each other and comment on each, on each reading throughout the day. The, the link is on our website. Join me in that. Even if you're visiting from out of town, you can, you can join us in that. Because you can read through the entire New Testament one chapter a day, five days a week. Others of you, maybe you want to take on something else. Maybe you want to study a whole book this year. I'm, I'm reading through the book of Job right now uh, to, to end up my, um, my reading plan for 2021. And that book is big and confusing. I'm just going to be honest. P- part of me would love to just spend the whole year studying the book of Job and kind of figuring out, like, what's really going on there? I mean, I, I have the big idea, but sometimes the words that I read— I don't really know how that all fits. But the invitation to all of us for 2022 is to, is to know God through his word because, I'll just read it again, right? Our soul will be refreshed. The simple will be made wise. Our heart will be given joy. Our eyes will be given light right? Purity that endures forever will know God's truth is firm and righteous. Who doesn't want that? And God offers it to us as a gift. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the song of creation. We're we're thankful that taken together, we, we can know so much about you. Our hearts, Father, can be drawn to you, not in dread of your judgment, but in joy that through Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf, we can know that we are pleasing to you in him and we can come and worship you freely through what he's done for us. Together with other saints, we thank you for this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.